All right, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. I know that this is going to be a new guest for some of you and for those that have been around for about a year and a half, almost two years at this point, whether publicly or on the member side, because this will stay members first, then go public. Uh, some of you may be familiar with uh, this gentleman here who I very, very gratefully and graciously consider a friend of, uh, in many regards, uh, a mentor to a degree with regards to his wise knowledge and the range of different connections that he's been able to make. But um, without speaking too much uh, on behalf of him, he was former counterintelligence for the DOD. I can say that Jeff and I have had many, many private conversations that have been nothing but fantastic and enlightening for me. And I think that it's very, very appropriate and suitable given the both from the physical and from the metaphysical aspect of things with what's going on in the world today that we have Jeff back on to discuss a couple of different things. So without further ado, brother, thank you so much again for coming on. On, and how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Doing good. I always enjoy our conversations. Yes. And as we've been discussing before we started recording, uh, we've very graciously on uh, Gen Z here uh, accumulated and cultivated a whole new crowd of individuals, many spiritual oriented, many military and mil, uh, mil intel oriented as well. And so one of the things that we discussed a handful of days ago, I have some notes here that I wanted to ask you about was, I mean, I have quite a few different questions and, and things that we could talk about, but the first off, let's start with uh, something a little more material, if you will. The the um, Jeffrey Epstein uh, alleged covert operation. Uh, yeah, be before yeah. we get, because I just want to continue the conversation we had off air, just sure. to verify, to give guys, since you do have the audience you have, I, you know, I don't want them looking down the, you know, if they try to research me at all, I don't want them look, look, looking down the wrong places. So uh, as much as I don't really enjoy it, I, let me talk a little bit about my career. Um, and I'm because you have that audience now, I'm going to use the buzzwords and the technical speak that they understand. So I served for uh, a little over 24 years. My primary MOS is actually 11 Bravo 5 Victor. I started life as a trigger puller. Um, in that, that time in my career, I, I eventually got out of uh, the army after my first war and I was a cop for a while. So first in corrections, then on the street as a cop. And then I got hired back full-time active duty for the reserve component and something known as a counter-drug task force. And that sort of began, you know, my, uh, my military intelligence career. I had some background in MI before that because I'm a former LURS guy. It's a concept that no longer exists. But then I, I got recruited fully for this program because I had a military background as well as a law enforcement background. And it was actually for the reserve component, but it was active duty. And in that capacity, I gained... The secondary MOS is of, of uh, 35 Lima and 35 Fox, so counterintelligence agent and intelligence analyst. Uh, unconventional for both those positions, but nonetheless, I got a lot of really good exposure to various kinds of human, etc. I then, you know, got back on regular active duty again for this my second war, which was uh, being a military advisor embedded with the Afghan National Army, what we called ETT at the time. Uh, in that capacity, I used uh, it was it was for Task Force Phoenix Two. I used every single hat I could possibly wear. It was the most I've ever been used for every skill set I had in my career. Nonetheless, that's my my military career. On the esoteric side, I'm a lifelong martial artist. My parent art is something called Budo Taijutsu. In the '80s, it was more often than not referred to as Ninjutsu. They tend not to use that language anymore. I also have a pretty significant uh, investment in historical European martial arts. My, my martial pursuits also parallel 
my spiritual ones because I have a, a fair amount of investment training and initiation in something called Nikkyo Buddhism, which is esoteric Buddhism. There's two variants, Tendai and Shingon. I'm a Shingon guy. I had the great fortune of being part of a Shingon Sengha. Uh, not, not any good at it because my Japanese is horrible. My Sanskrit is worse. Nonetheless, I got a lot from the experience and under the Reverend uh, Jomio Tanaka, phenomenal teacher, incredibly wise, incredibly kind, etc. Um, and I'm also a Reiki practitioner, among other things. On the Western side, I'm, I'm a, a lifelong Freemason. So I was a demon as a kid. I come from a family of Freemasons. I'm a Freemason myself and a Roshikrushan. And I belong to more than one Knight Templar body, both Masonic and non-Masonic. Uh, along with those things, and I share that in some detail because I recognize the fact it buys my perspective. And so I know I'm seeing through a lens formed from those experiences. And that's important when we talk further because I know the phenomenon speaks to us through the lens we present. I'm also an experiencer. I've had my own experiences. I generally don't talk about them because other than a handful of times where there was a witness or some physical event which left, uh, you know, a, a uh, evidence of one kind or another, a lot of my experiences are noetic in nature and I cannot qualify them. If you told me there was something emerging from my subconscious, well, I couldn't deny it. Uh, anyway, so all, all of those together obviously has my own lifelong investment in the phenomenon right and like so many thank people, you by the way so many people who are watching this also have their own experiences probably have backgrounds similar to my own are choosing not to speak and i don't blame them because talking publicly about any of this is not my first choice right right however i'm deeply inspired by this moment in history like so many other people are and i have my experiences and as we were saying before off the air i see a lot of people misconstrue a lot of things both about the, the military and intelligence community as well as uh, about the phenomenon in general and i understand subjectively how that occurs but it's just way off the mark uh and and it doesn't do the discourse any good because one of the reasons we've talked about before one of the reasons i i don't talk publicly is as soon as you tell someone you have an intelligence background well you're the bad guy Right. Okay. And I'm not denying the intelligence community has done some really evil, awful shit. I'll be the first to tell you that. Right. Uh, but you but you can't condemn an entire discipline and now literally hundreds of thousands of people uh, right. who've also done a lot of good things. You, there's a lot of bad things they've done you don't even know about. Right. There's also a lot of good things they've done you don't know about. Right. It's like that. If I could say very quickly, it's like that figure of speech to look at it sort of glass half full uh, that I brought up, uh, I think, on our last recording a year and a half ago, which was, uh, again, a quote from the film Tenet. Um, nobody, I think it was, nobody cares about the bomb that never went off. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's all. And, and the other thing is, more than anything else, and you and I have said, have talked about this before, the, one of the, the biggest myths I consider that is the most harmful to this whole discourse Mm. as the belief that there's something called the United States government. That thing does not exist. Oh, we're speaking with regards to the way that people just place blame they, on it. The they think there's a, there's a vending machine that pumps out <laughs> right. Smith, and there's 100,000 Agent Smiths in this one big monolithic organization called the United States government. Nothing is farther from the truth. I've worked at all echelons of the government, and I can tell you more often than not, the biggest obstacle to the United States government is, in fact, the United States government. 
It's yeah. been a lot of a lot of the American tax dollar is is spent on the government fighting the government. So if I can ask very quickly with, with that with this line of questioning or with this line of thought that we're going along, if there were to be if we were to take this uh this to a conclusion for a moment, even hypothetically, if there were to be various elements based on your experience or sub elements within uh whether private uh contracting companies or uh in official capacities with the Air Force or the Navy, if there were to be a UAP program in your opinion, would it be so heavily compartmentalized that X amount of people would know, but then that's essentially it with regards to maybe a certain part of that program. And then you would absolutely. Kind of so, so let's go back to this, this monolith of the United States government. There, there is a loose confederation of organizations and agendas. We can kind of call the United States government. Right. And as a whole, the United States government is dumber than a box of rocks. It's an <laughs> idiot. However, inside the United States government, Right. Organizations and even individuals that are absolutely brilliant. Right. Right. We have some extraordinarily talented people who are nameless and faceless, and you'll never know who they are, but they've already, any thought I can have, they've already had themselves. If they're working on this particular pro problem set, and my conclusion is that they are. Right. And that being said, <laughs> um, so sorry, in other words, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing in many aspects. Oh, either that or as often directly fighting the right hand <laughs> okay okay got you okay okay um that that being said um uh it, i come to this conclusion long ago and it makes the most sense and this also explains why there are people i admire a lot and like who got it wrong and right. this is why they got it wrong right it is because let's talk about the the the, the point of origin the, the decision to do to conceal the phenomenon or presence of the phenomenon. Well, what people don't realize is the discussion about and plan to disclose would have begun at the same time, because the people who were in the middle of this and you know middle of the Cold War, which informed a lot of their thinking, would have known about a potential inevitable exposure of the phenomenon, and so they would have already started wargaming. What would be the process to get this out if we were ever going to get it out? What would that look like? What happens if it does get compromised, et cetera? Right. But again, we're not talking about the United States government as a whole. We're talking about a subset within that government, whether whether there is, there's truth to the idea that there was once a Majestic 12 or not, or whether it's Zodiac now or not. Most likely, there were a group of informed individuals who were going through this kind of decision cycle. And, and with that said, if we were to stretch our, our uh, topic of discussion or our scope of the discussion more outward, could we say that um, outside of the government, for example, there, let's say there have been, uh, let me, let me try and phrase this appropriately, there, um, there are force, there are certain events that the phenomena is utilizing in order to turn institutions in on themselves, as we discussed the yeah, other. Yeah, so. So as we talked about before, actually, uh, first, a couple of things. One, so to answer your first questions I got off topic was, yes, most likely the best place to hide this or to, or to get rid of it or to try to achieve some good. At, if you look at from the context they were coming from, if they were altruistic in motivation, they would have most likely come to the same conclusion. That is, you know, do not expose the fact that we have this. Instead, get it into the private sector, one that that hides it. Um a lot better than than having positive control over it in the government right uh and two if there's any good that to be derived from it 
it would be the 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 big brains in the private sector who would probably we're also in fairness we're also talking about things that allegedly make nuclear bombs look like firecrackers right oh absolutely yeah and i'm not justifying at all the continued obfuscation what oh, i am trying no. to put in context is where they were originally coming from in that in and and how looking back it's easy to right and how looking back it's easy for things to have been gotten lost over the years through compartmentalizing in one company to another etc and again i'm not trying to defend the mic whatsoever but the, the notion that you know compartments over compartments and next thing you know there's all there's so much obfuscation and comp compartmentalization that no one knows who's overseeing what anymore and you've basically lost track of the of, of various potential programs from the perspective of the government when trying to sort of i guess you could say follow up with these contractors yes and at some point there probably was oversight and right. somewhere along the way that oversight dropped off right uh, I don't know how or when that happened. You know, it's that's you know, you know, I'm I'm punching over my weight when I start talking about that echelon because that's an echelon I did not directly work at. Um, well, now we're talking. If I could just to be clear, and I don't mean to get all conspiratorial, but we're also talking about an echelon, arguably that is semi-official and semi-not official. Correct. Let's talk. So. Let's, let's, this is you know another worthy topic we've talked about before, but it's worth talking about again. Right. To, to dispel the idea of the of the cartoon villain deep state that people talk about because that doesn't exist but right. to talk about the real career culture that does exist that you can sort of call the deep state right there is a career culture that career culture spans generations and has significant overlap in agencies both in the DoD DOJ and private sector mm. and these people have been there for decades they all know each other it's actually a natural kind of emergent phenomenon inside an organization of that size and scope and so yes there are careers who kind of can be thought of as a as a um as a deep state sort of um and that does you know rightfully or wrongfully overlap across industry again multiple proponents of the executive branch of the government and as well as financial interests. And very quickly, if I could say, in addition to what you said there so eloquently, when we say deep state, are, could we also liken it to individuals that, for example, over the course of many decades, let's say, have become very, um, uh, I don't want to say tribal oriented, but sort of like a um, don't rat on each other type club. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So loyalty and trust are high commodities. Right. They are a form of currency, right? And so right. that's, I mean, we can talk about subculture a little bit and how that culture happens. And it's a culture I'm a part of, I understand. I mean, right. uh, trust and loyalty are everything uh, in a certain context. And certainly in the trigger puller context, I mean, one of the blessings that come out of the very dark thing that is war is you see people at their very best and very worst simultaneously. Right. So you're forced to accept both those truths simultaneously in someone. And as a, if I could say quickly, as a field operator, I would or former, I would imagine that having trust is the core, like it is the the um, bread and butter of the way you operate. Trust is everything. Yeah, right. Um, right. And it's good and bad. So you know, one of the things in this whole dis discussion and uh, this and other discussions, we need to get out of this dualistic thing of saying it's all good and only good, or it's all bad and only bad. That's not right. true. Right. It's good and bad. So there are good things that emerge from that that way of life, that worldview, that paradigm, as well as bad things. Right. Uh, you see this in the military and law enforcement. 
I mean, when I was a cop, you start off, you sort of still have a good, you know, worldview about your fellow human beings. After a while, you start not trusting your fellow human beings. You only trust cops. After a while, you stop trusting other cops. You only trust your partner. After a while, you no longer trust your partner and you're having doubts about yourself. Right. I mean, that's how that's how unfortunately being introduced to certain influences constantly. Right. I'm never getting like way off the UAP topic and start talking about no, 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 no. This is great. This community. this speaks but, to all of it. Don't worry. Yeah. But but you know, the, these kind of inputs can really change your perspective as well as strengthen it. So there's like I said, there's both good and bad things because the good part of it is. There are guys I serve with who I don't talk to hardly at all. Right. But if I was in a crisis or emergency, I could call them, no shit, call them, and they would stop what they're doing and come to my my aid because there is a brotherhood that transcends normal, mundane, civilian experience. And and that I know that sounds horribly elitist. Uh, it's just true. And I everybody out there watching this who's ever pulled the trigger or been downrange knows exactly what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. And I'm just to be clear for the record, I have not. So I'm not saying that I know what it's like. I'm just saying that I can. In oh, I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, and again, I, I know that sounds kind of elitist and I don't mean it to. No, 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 not at, no, of, not at all. Of, of where we come from. No, no. But you've been through what you've been through. That's something to in many regards, like you said, you, you've you've experienced the best of yourself and the worst of yourself. That's not. Uh, yes respectfully i don't see that as being elitist it's what you've done i mean like like we said before we started recording you've done things that a lot of people just watch movies about so yeah it's i mean as, guy, as, i was fortunate i had a career but i'm just a guy right right speaking of which uh, one thing i just wanted to sort of close off um as we discussed earlier with regards to the uh jeffrey epstein topic and from your coming if you were to take both your law enforcement and your military intelligence perspective on such why and we i know we discussed this a bit last week but if you could say for the audience why in your view would uh, again assuming this was you know Mossad operation as clearly the 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 new court documents seem to very strongly indicate why would an operation go on for so long um, from a human perspective it's been theorized already that a, an operation like Epstein would not have been something that the entire Mossad would have been known about this would have been highly compartmentalized uh, very focused what are your thoughts yeah, so a couple things. I remember when we talked about it, I guess like last year sometime, and I was, yeah. like, you know, I was talking about something, and it, it, an Epstein came up, and I said, no, I don't think it's a CIA thing, right? Uh, for a number of reasons, right? And people didn't, well, you know, even in the comments, are like, well, that's, you know, I, I like what that guy said, but he was way off on the Epstein thing. That absolutely was an intel thing. No, it wasn't a CIA thing. Oh, I see. I don't have firsthand knowledge to say it was a Mossad thing, but I certainly could see it. So you would say that from your experience, Mossad tends to go farther than other agencies. Yeah. And so let's let's talk about that a little bit. And I'm not going to defend their actions at all. Right I, will, right. I will talk about their context. So you're talking about a nation state that from before it began as a state. Right. Was surrounded by other states that wanted them to cease to exist, period, full stop. So in that environment, that context. Uh, and again, I'm not justifying Mossad. I'm saying I understand where they're coming from. Right, right. <laughs> the, the, their version of where the line is you can't cross is way farther along than ours. <laughs> In other it's words, like way out yeah. there. 
Right, right. In other words, we have all this landlocking and we have all this separation of bodies of water between us and, and, and our enemies or our adversaries. Whereas, and again, I'm not justifying it either, but to look back at the lineage of the way the perspective would have been accumulated to justify it, it it's basically, listen, we're part of my French, we're fucking surrounded by it, everyone that wants to kill us. Yeah, that literally wants to see them cease to exist. So do, would you see, for example, a, a potential operation where not, not necessarily a first uh, where they would use Epstein as a first sort of plan of action, but as sort of a, a safety net or reassurance where there would be some human compromise within Europe? Right, so yeah. If it was a Mossad thing. And I say this very sorry, just to take it to full conclusion very quickly, the idea would be that Epstein would be compromising certain European and potentially American politicians so that whether a, U a United Nations vote came up or a certain contract for the Pentagon for, a, you know, an Israeli company came up, Epstein could use that blackmail to influence uh, decision making. Correct. Right. And that's exactly it would have been a very limited scope. I mean, to have perpetuated that long. There are human operations that go that long. Uh, it's not unheard of. Although, although but the, oh, the, sorry, the, there are, there are. Yeah, the the wow. risk is extraordinary. The the longer you go with it, so they would have compartmentalized that in such a way that there are multiple levels of cutout. So it'll be very hard to get back and pinpoint the finger. Say yes, we know it was Mossad. I don't mean sorry. I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but when you say cut certain individuals out with respects to keeping it so tightly, so they could keep it compartmentalized for and have it go for so long, would this be something perhaps that um, there's been speculation in the news? Now, to be fair, this is for-profit syndicated media that's saying this, but that Epstein, you know, reported directly to people like uh, Ehud Barak or Netanyahu. Would this be something you? No. No. Okay. No, he okay. reported to a handler who may have been. What's her name? Maxwell. Okay. Okay. She may and... have been the handler, uh, and she reported to another handler who whose identity will not be able to be corroborated. Got you. So you I mean, that's me speculating. Sure, you know, sure. That's a kind of operation I don't um have a lot of direct experience with at that level. Right. Um, right. But for the sake of just using logic and using you know, from your experience, you would say that there would be a couple of buffers, but in between Epstein right. and okay, okay. Got you. Got you. Very interesting. So I, I appreciate oh, it'll be very hard to, to, to pin it on the stuff. Right. They're really good at what they do. Right. They Got absolutely, you know, history has changed in a bunch of ways. So, you know, obviously the, uh, the attack of the 17th of October changed everything. Hamas knew it would, they were rolling the dice when they decided to do the operation. They did this also, if, if this gets increasing visibility and Mossad is repeatedly suspected, it could change things as well. Uh, so there, this is a tumultuous time for a number of reasons, not only just about that issue, but about a bunch of issues. Because we're in a time, and this goes back to something else we were talking about, about the phenomenon being, contact with the phenomenon being an initiatic experience. Um. And I guess we could take that thought further and talk about how I came to some rather fantastical. Please, if if we if we'd like to transition there, please, yeah. Oh sure, we can talk. Well, we can keep talking. You know, in, in either one. Um, I, I don't know what else there is to say about Epstein. No, that's I, what I mean. I, if I, you want to, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, there's a good chance it was uh, a human. We don't need to. We don't need to rehash the details for the audience. We they can look that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. But it make it makes sense to me being a Mossad thing. Um maybe it was maybe would the Russians do that? Maybe. Uh right. They also have like zero governor on their actions. They will just the FSB, which is just really you know, also oh, the FSB know. as well. They'll they'll Yeah, or not the SF, FSB, but the um SVR, but SVR. Their, their external uh, branch. At any rate, they'll stop at nothing either. Now, uh, I don't think it was them, but that's something they certainly would, they wouldn't hesitate. Whereas, I, you know, Mossad at least has a, a line you can't cross, even that, no matter how far away it is. Russian intelligence has no line whatsoever. What they about will just do whatever? What about Russian intelligence in relation to Chinese intelligence? Do Chinese do they have a line the Chinese intel guys or depending? I guess I'm not in my the Chinese are not my area of expertise. Gotcha. Um, however, they aren't stupid. So right. My perception of the Chinese again not my area of expertise, but my perception of them is yeah their lines a lot farther away than ours are too, but they still have one. Right. Right. Only because they're very conscious about blowback and about um, consequence. It looks like China has a few more things to balance on the world stage than Russia does in the economic side of things. And that's right. Well, with that said, let's move on to a couple different other things that I wanted to discuss as well, which was, um, and again, if there's anything that you wanted to transition in as well that's on your mind, please feel free. But the the end game force of actions, essentially, and how the phenomena is turning uh, the institutions in on themselves in the sense of, we discussed before, having you control the mind for me, so to speak. If right. you were, so, yeah. I, you know, I'll start with, a general observation and the conclusions I've come to. You know, Homo sapiens sapien has been the unwitting sorcerer's apprentice the entire time. One of the ways that I view the phenomenon is as an intelligence service, not for nefarious reasons, but in the way that it acts, its modes of operation and expected end states. Um, and so part of what's occurring is I perceive it now, and I'll be the first to tell you, my perceptions have changed along the way multiple times, and I could be wrong, and I may change my mind later. But from what I've seen and experienced thus far, is that one of the in-state goals of the phenomenon is to change the architecture of human consciousness. This may be because uh, their ability to manifest in our reality may rely on the observer effect at scale. And so if you notice most major flaps were, you know, mass sightings, you know, even when the phenomenon is viewed at numbers, it's always at range. You don't have an example of a UFO landing in a football stadium where everybody's relatively close and getting out and talking to people. Okay, so this was something from a psychological perspective, even putting the notion of the phenomena aside for a moment, the, the concept of someone or something even there have been cases in the past where you know you watch these documentaries about how intel agencies have been trying to capture these warlords for decades and these warlords are 
close but not close enough for the point where they can get them it seems like the the phenomenon is kind of doing that same thing where it's within distance of visibility and potential interaction but it's not right there for you to go okay i right. know so it's the consensus reality frame right, and right. So multiple instances where people were witnesses in close proximity to each other experienced a different effect they saw something different the craft looked different the beings looked different etc and that's when they were in close proximity to each other and the phenomenon, there was still a different presentation. So for the phenomenon to present at scale in mass, uh, there needs to be a change to the baseline of the consensus reality frame. Either it's expansion or the injection of an, you know, an, an archetype or even just a, a phenotype like the gray body plan that is now, in, you know, ubiquitous enough that it it, it forms the consensus frame right um and so it looks to me that the phenomenon this entire time has been working in the material you know time space domain of operations we understand it and in, in a domain of operation we have little access to at least not uh, holistically as a as a species as as an organization are, sorry to interrupt you are the are the behaviors and characteristics of the phenomena in on in general are they representative of or even crudely representative of the intelligence or military intelligence form of thinking or approach to thinking yeah i mean the, the, you know to frame it like that almost kind of brings baggage with it but the but the intelligence paradigm is as such and this goes to another thing we talked about, uh, about why the phenomenon seems to affect and associate with certain demographics. And it's anecdotal on my part, because I know I'm looking at a, a biased sample based on my own personal experiences and others. The phenomenon interacts with people from all walks of life without question. However, I'm beginning to suspect the phenomenon interacts with certain subsects you know, subsectors or, you know, certain demographics with a certain specificity. And the thing about intelligence professionals, as well as law enforcement professionals, as well as, you know, theologians, as well as any number of people who think a certain way, one is the ability to pattern and associate, right? Two, specific to intelligence is the, the ability to think on and act on multiple layers of narrative at the same time. And one of the things I suspect is the phenomenon is speaking in those multiple layers of narrative at the same time for a number of reasons. And so as I look at the trajectory of my own life, some of the people I know, and the history of intelligence professionals since before there was a United States there are some odd associations that continue to emerge. Could we could could we have a couple could, uh, examples of that in terms of the interesting associations? Sure, and people can look. I mean, I you know, like if I could, you know, reach into a magic hat and pull out other people to bring this conversation, it'd be guys like Peter Lavinda, Mitch Horowitz. They can right, with, right, uh, Doctor Vasilka, so she could have a thing or two to say about it. But there, there. I mean, we can, it, the the a stereotype, an archetype we can pull from history is, uh, is you know John D. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and and the people he associated with in the Elizabethan era. Right. Uh, 
you know, who were involved in the intelligence cycle of the time for the Elizabethan government, but also had a connection to esoteric. This speaks to when... Uh... Come forward to, you know, the Babylon working Jack Parsons, and you see there another strange example of brilliant people right you have various connections with intelligence even though he was a rocket scientist and then also the phenomenon right um, there, there are examples of that through history uh and so there's a there's you know groups of people like you see this interweaving i see what you mean even for a more recent example going up following uh going up until world war ii i believe that the um again i'm i'm saying this carefully because i could be wrong in certain aspects but i believe the italian mafia the vatican the us the cia there there was some there were certain relationships that were interweaved there in a certain regard which i also found interesting um something that i think dave brush brought up on joe rogan when he said that there was this connection back then because there was a, cra a uap crash in italy and the vatican yeah, 1933 yeah. yeah yeah uh and and the vatican alerted uh, the uh, OSS. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. So, but but the, the, but, and we'll talk about when we talk about the trauma to shaman effect. This produces both false positives and false negatives. Thank People dismiss the up. associations because it seems almost cartoonish to think a bunch of spooks are also a bunch of magic magicians who are also talking to aliens. Right. It seems right. like, and <laughs> you know, a cartoonish. To the point of dumb, to the point of B movie associations to make. Right. However, I think sometimes it's true. I it's it, that's why I laughed actually because that's what I found in my personal experiences to be the case more often than not. It turns out that the former you know uh, field operator uh, now Intel uh, or ex Intel person also Freemason also this and it's like all these things are falling into place and then you have to wonder. It's not necessarily about the individual, but what are the, and this is your field of specialty, but what are the patterns that lead up to this? this so let's talk yeah. about how the conspiracy theorists get it wrong, and also one of the, the more fantastical conclusions I've come to. Right. So where the, where the conspiracy theorists get it wrong is they keep trying to prove and validate longitudinal chains of human culpability. Mm. Like there is an actual generational plan that's being executed all the time and it's been done so for going back to the you know younger dryas or whatever whatever right right historical theory you have uh that's not true it is true in parts for certain segments of that trajectory of that timeline right so parts of the timeline you can see that culpability but not for the whole thing what is true is the pattern Right. And so right. going back to a model we've talked about before. Right. So the, the triad of. Sorry, can I just say very quickly what just to clarify what you're saying essentially is that the objective or agenda of king or queen, the whatever, 600 years ago is not still being followed through today. Uh, not in, as a form of direct transmission. Right, right, right. Yes. In other words, not me telling you, hey, tell your great grandkid. Right, the next right, right, right. What is true, though, is the aspiration and inspiration of that plan, right, is being communicated, right. Um, and and sometimes there's direct culpability, right. Sometimes there's not. The the reason being is so the 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 triad of cosmotheological constants, right. So panentheism, not pantheism, but panentheism, emanation theology, and panpsychism, right. So that's 
That forms the inverse delta that you, me, the grays, we all fit in there, right? So in that model, since the underneath is all one thing, that's where the pattern moves. So the pattern emerges at points in history, gets a human sock puppet to do the thing, and now it looks like there's a there's you can connect a bunch of dots of a direct culpability, but you can't. Right. So in other words, it goes back down into the underneath, comes up somewhere else, and moves that sock puppet. Right. Sort of like whack a mole, kind of. Sort of. So you know, again, if if you know, um, we emerge from reality. So we, in that model, we're we're all emerging from the same panpsychic stuff. So the gestalt, and so this also goes to the way the phenomenon operates. So why would the phenomenon bother to tell somebody some mystery about the nature of reality in the universe, and that person never tells another soul? Well, we ourselves are unaware of the collect the under underneath the collected wholeness underneath. They're not, so they know that when they t whisper a secret in your ear, even if you tell no one, they've still whispered that secret to the collective, and it started waiting. The right reality frame now if if i can that that's beautifully put now if i can ask you if we can shift this very slightly for a moment to the potential perspective that if the phenomena were to have this ability which i very much believe it does as, as you've been describing is it possible from a fractal perspective and from a patterning perspective as we zoom out there may be a way to and I, I say this carefully because I don't want to jump all, right away to, you know, uh, uh, reptilian DNA bloodline, etc. But a way to insert within certain lineages of certain bloodlines, these. these... Yeah, I mean, it, yet again, that's fantastical speculation, but one that, that may actually have bearing. So, right. Let's go back to one of the, the assumptions that I've come to. There is an unseen hand that moves through human history. Right. There may not just be one unseen hand that moved through human history. There may be two unseen hands that moved through human history. But guess what? It looks like at first glance those unseen hands are opposing each other. They're not. It's controlled opposition. Right. They're pretending to oppose each other. Right. And they're pr pretending to oppose each other because it creates the necessary stressors, environmental and evolutionary, that causes change. So... Right. Let's go back to whether you think the 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 Nordic space angels, the space elves, are good guys or bad guys, and who are they interacting with and why. So right. Here's here's an ancient population I have a genetic connection to the Scythians. They were a bunch of you know pot smoking raiders that terrorized Eurasian steppe. I don't know you know that's not necessarily a good thing. However, <laughs> right. Um, they also had you know a significant amount of refinement and culture. Um, and, and certain cultural characteristics, which they transmitted, you know, across, you know, the, the, you know, the, and I, Jeff, the brother, if I populations. very quickly, you're reminding me of, from a scientific perspective, the way you induce change in a particle is you have to get it to oscillate. So it just from on a bigger scale, if you can get a populace to oscillate and unfortunately go against each other, they will begin to transmutate and change. Correct, and also they'll spread their dream, genes and their ideas. Right. Yeah, at the subjective scale, that's a horribly cruel way to spread ideas. Yeah. At the objective scale, if you're at the 30,000-foot level or higher, you go, yeah, it's pretty awful for those individual people. 
But the end state down the road is we've made a smarter, smarter creature who will eventually evolve into an altruistic being. We have to go through all this evolutionary ugliness to get there, right? So if you take that perspective, like, okay, so yeah, it's pretty messy on the ground when it's executed, but the end state down the road is a smarter creature. And this is where I also... This is where if I were to put myself in the shoes of some type of higher uh, form of, of existence or being, uh, particularly there's been, you know, the talk about, you know, uh, topology, fractals, higher versions of ourself and what have you. I, I'm at a, mo 